You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Oh no! We suck again! Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Who's had a bad weekend? (laughs) Grump, I've had the worst eight days of sports in my entire life. Let me me break down really quick how bad this week has been. I've had two giant blowout losses. I've had the Gators incredulously losing to a very bad LSU team, even after LSU's coach gets fired after the game and still beat us. My baseball team gets eliminated from the playoffs. My wife's baseball team gets eliminated from the playoffs. My hockey team wins a game, but yet their best player gets hurt and could be out for the year. And my soccer team loses a derby to New Jersey. That is a turd burger of epic proportions, and I am lucky. The, the, the happiest thing that happened for me this week, Grump, is I was flying home from New Orleans this weekend, and the Wi-Fi was crappy on the plane. And I couldn't watch this giant game in, in real time. I consider that a moral victory. And the only thing that kept me from literally jumping out of the plane at 37,000 feet and being splattered somewhere in the Appalachian Mountains. It was just, it's just awful. And I am beaten down as a sports fan. I forgot to, I, I forgot to text you. Um, <laughs> Cranky Finn wasn't at the game with me. Like he said, he was on a plane. Um <laughs> In front of us sat, I, I mean, this dude must have been a thousand years old. And he just like, he had like three like people helping him walk to his seats. He's got a cane and he's got, I mean, there's a lot of steps at MetLife. I'm sure he's taken like elevators and like whatever, but still even just getting from the tunnel, like a couple of rows down and then in like literally two seats took him like 20 minutes. I am so sad that he had to watch this game, dude. Oh my god! Of all the games to go to, at the, this poor dude. I, I don't even know if he made it. I, I almost didn't make it. Um, but the Giants lost 31, uh, 38 to eleven. I left before the the eight. Grump, Grump, did you on the uh, on the Thursday show, which I wasn't able to be a part of? Did you read the text I sent you? What my prediction for the game was? I did. I read it on air. Did you not watch the episode? You don't watch? I was, <laughs> I was in New Orleans all weekend, man. I'm I was kidding, on dude. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I did I read uh, your whole recap. All weekend, so, yeah, <laughs> I was pretty close. I, I thought this would kind of, you know, the final score would be very close to what actually happened. I thought this team was depleted. I thought, you know, Daniel Jones wasn't sure if he was going to play or not. And when we get into that is a major topic today. I figured he wasn't going to play. And I thought this team would get their asses kicked by – a Super Bowl contender, and guess what? We got our asses kicked by a Super Bowl contender. Uh, yeah, they got their asses kicked straight out. Um, I, but you know, in the moment watching the game, um, and and even upon rewatching, they came out of the gate with a pretty good game plan. Um, they started off pretty okay. I mean, at with the roster that that was stepping onto the field, the guys who were who were, you know, active for the game. That was going to be, if they all played at their highest potential, they were going to have to play pretty dramatically, I thought. You know, I, I, from what they've shown so far, you know, it was going to be tough for them. But 
if they came out of the gates with being as aggressive as they they have been at times and can be on offense, and if they were, you know, finally clicking a little bit on defense, because I think that there are some step back here for this Rams team. I don't think they're as good as they were last year or the year before, you know, in, in some regards. Um, I, it would have been tough, but they could have hung in there, and they started off pretty good. I mean, I, I mean, there were there were mess ups here and there, but if this seems at full strength, this team is not as good and not as close to good as the Rams. I, they may I, no, I disagree. I disagree entirely with that. At full strength, I, yes, this team is that they are. We are at best we at a full strength. This team is a fringe playoff team. The Rams are a Super Bowl contender. They're one of. Two, maybe three teams in the NFC that are a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl. So uh, I, I, I think I think you have a higher esteem of the Rams than even the Rams have, dude. They, I, I don't think they're so, of the, the the two teams in the NFC that are going to go to the Super Bowl. They're not. I, they're they're definitely a playoff team. I, I mean, I don't know if they're going to win their division, dude. Arizona looks really good this year. Arizona looks really good. I got to see Arizona over seventeen games or eight, you know, seventeen games to prove that to me. I just think they're solid. I mean, I saw them. Play they are. I mean, they're definitely solid. They're a playoff team. Like I said, I don't. I don't think there's a shot that they don't make peers. the playoffs. We're not peers with them at full strength. Remember, we're at, but about- but at full strength, you're talking about guys that barely even played this year, like Shane Lemieux and Nick Gates. They're just like exactly. three. That 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 team, I think, is a fringe playoff team, and I think they're a playoff team. That's that's at least competitive. Though that that fringe playoff team can win that game against a playoff team. They weren't full strength though. Yeah, they can. There's no chance. Yeah. And I thought in the first quarter they came out of the gates firing, man. I mean, of course they screw up in the red zone on their opening drive, but you know they matriculated down the field and they did this, you know. Nate Solder immediately looked like shit. I mean, first play looked like shit. Strip sack of Daniel Jones. First fucking play. And despite that, him looking his worst he's looked probably since he got here. He might have had his worst game as a Giant. It was pretty bad the last two games. Despite that, they still went down the field. And I was like, holy shit. And then the defense stepped up a couple of times in a row. And then, you know, Kadarius Tony didn't make it out of the first drive. And now we're looking at, holy shit, if they can stay close with this game, that'll be a miracle just keeping it close. And then Andrew Thomas went down. I was pretty much resigned to the fact that they were going to lose at that moment. I, I sat back in my chair, wasn't getting excited anymore, just like... It's it's gonna fall off the wheels, and it happened almost immediately after that. So I mean, you, you know, when you're on an airplane and you can always turn your phone on and it works, even though you're not supposed to. This was a game I knew we had a shot of winning. I probably would have broken all the FAA regulations. Right. No, I agree with that. To make sure I can get a Wi-Fi that actually worked. That thought never crossed my mind. Sunday, it's like we are not winning this game. We're not going to be close. I'm just gonna hope that every 15 minutes the Wi-Fi works for four seconds. And I get an update. So that's kind of, you know, then the injuries kind of started rolling in to make it even worse and worse. But, um, and you know, and then Daniel Jones. I mean, let, let's get into Daniel Jones now. Um, you know, we, before we started recording, we were debating about Daniel Jones, whether, you know, I think, I think it was a mistake he even played to start with. I, I again, I know he was cleared to play, but he's seven days removed from a concussion. He's your franchise. He's he's who you invested heavily in. He's a guy that you know you want to be healthy. You don't want to have him, you know, have setbacks. You know, even if he's been medically cleared by the NFL to play, he has to be. You have to think long term with him. 
the Giants are going nowhere. We're one in five. The season's over in all realistic chances. I don't know what the rush was to get him back out there for this particular game. And then, you know, which has been the real talking point later on is, why is he still in said game when it's already a blowout in the fourth quarter? Which, to me, it's a bigger problem that clouds your judgment as a coaching staff, as an organization. It's called desperation. This, there is desperation, I think, with this coaching staff, with this general manager, with this organization, to not have this season spiral completely out of control. You know, and be one in ten, one in eleven, and be even more of the laughing stock we are. And when you start making short-term decisions to because you're desperate, you can really impact this team long-term. And I think him playing, you can make the argument, and Grub will take the counter about him playing or not to begin with. But in that fourth quarter, him being out there to me is borderlining on franchise negligence, and really makes me start wondering of the decision-making process and my confidence in this head coach. That's, that's, that's my take. Um, I don't want to get into like a long back and forth thing about this. So I can, I can hit some counters, but I, I mostly agree with you. Um, but right off the bat, like I have no issue with Daniel Jones playing this game. There is no such thing as a setback from a concussion. So for starters, there's no way to re-injure it. It's not like a sore arm. Um, once you've, the current science, at least from what I understand, shows that the setbacks happen within the protocol. So those are all pretty much just adding a little bit of physical workload and then reevaluating what symptoms return or don't return the next day and then evaluating from there if that advances you to the next level. We have seen guys every year, um, I believe, at least this year it's definitely happened, that can return within seven days. And Daniel Jones is not one of those guys who has a long track record of concussions. I'm a big person who says if you play in the NFL at some point in your sports life, You've probably gotten a concussion at some point and played through it, especially at football. Um, but, you know, he doesn't have this long track record of, of concussions where you can see that there's a trend. He might heal a little bit slower. He may be more susceptible. These are gray areas of science, I think. But from a head coach's standpoint, his job six games into the season is to win the game. He, it, it is to win the game. And here he has an independent doctor telling him that his player is able to play then I say play him. Now, me personally, I'm still a little bit backed up from that because really, you think about the context in which Daniel Jones got hurt is kind of just like they're undermanned on the offensive line to a critical point now. I mean, it it sucks that Shane Lemieux got hurt in the offseason. He tried to tough it out. He made it about one series in the first game of the year. He had to go. It sucks that two guys retired during training camp. Yeah, and it's it sucks that Nick Gates broke his leg, man. I mean, Nick Gates was playing great. He's, I think, an integral part of this offensive line and this 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 locker room in general. Um, he goes down. Now you've really got Andrew Thomas and some guys holding it together as best they can. So that's if Andrew point. Thomas is coming into this game, my thing was if he's comfortable, if you're comfortable with Andrew Thomas playing. Then it, I'm I'm comfortable with Daniel Jones in that scenario because I already know he's going to be kind of running for his life. But as long as his blind side is okay, okay, fine, he should play. He's been cleared. But then Andrew Thomas goes down. You've got a compelling argument then to start pulling your guy. Now Andrew Thomas goes down in the first half. 
You go out there, you the the Rams start with the ball. They had like a 10-minute opening drive. Okay, fine. Now you get the ball and I mean the Giants offense really didn't do jack shit. And now you're right. You've got the Rams pulling their quarterback. They're putting in there and, and Daniel Jones is still out there. Now I have an issue with a lot of things here. I was already uncomfortable with Daniel Jones playing without Andrew Thomas. Now you're pulling Nate Solder, who's admittedly playing terribly, but now you've got Matt Parrott and a practice squad guy in front of him, and he's still out there. I disagree with that. You know what? You signed up to keep Nate Solder and be just comfortable with Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott and Nate Solder way earlier in the year. And I understand that's not just on Joe Judge, but if he really evaluated Nate Solder honestly, he would say, if I get anything out of this dude this year, that's a bonus. We're keeping him because he opted out and we're fucked into this contract. That's fine. But nobody spoke up enough to nudge anybody to get a tackle that was worth half a shit. Anybody. Now, Matt Parrott, you know what? I'm not giving him a pass, but the development we knew with him was going to take a while, especially his first year, his offensive line coach is out halfway through the year anyway. On that draft night show we did, we said, project. Mm -hmm. And projects aren't six One year and and a a wand happened, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, you know, that you we knew the situation going into the year. I assume always that coaches know more about where a player is than I do because they see them every day. I only get to see them really on game day. So I can give my opinions – but if a coach tells me like, yeah, you got to see him in practice. He's got, he's gonna put it together, whatever. I would believe the coach. I'm not a genius. I'm barely even smart. But you know, I mean, you roll into the year. You've got your offensive tackles. You've got a practice squad out there. Please, for the love of God, pull Daniel Jones. Just pull him. And then you know, I, I, you've heard me say this on this show a million times that I don't care what coaches say. I, I you know, everything in a press conference is coach speak nonsense. It's hooey. It's not. It's garbage. You know, they're all cliches. They're just trying to say the right thing. They're just trying to get through a press conference. However, the question was asked. And I think Patty Trainer might have asked the question. I'm not exactly sure it was. Like, Coach, why was he still in for the fourth quarter? And he said, "We play four quarters here. We are trying to see who plays four quarters or not." That to me was about borderlining as stupid of an answer as when Rex Ryan got, I think it was Mark Sanchez killed in that preseason game because he, his goal was they wanted to win the game. You know, Being the Giants in a preseason game to them was more important than what the purpose of a preseason was. And if he really believes that nonsense that he said, if he, if he doesn't believe he just said it for Coach Speak, he just sounds like an asshole and something that he's going to really – have a fan base turn against him very quickly by saying stupid things. But if he really believes that and is trying to prove how big his crank is or how big the crank is of this team and prove their toughness, this isn't 1956. This is not the Junction Boys of Bear Bryant getting guys playing in 120-degree summers and having five-a-day practices. You have to think about your team. You have to think about the future of your team, not just this game, not just this season. What is the future? What are we trying to build? You're so quick on building culture. Well, culture doesn't mean dick if you don't have the players to execute that culture. And leaving the guy in there for 
with the risk of a guy who's just coming off an injury, you know, uh, a concussion a week ago, a game completely out of reach. Nobody to protect him. No one's watching. Everybody went home already. It's just borderline stupid. And again, I think it reeks of that desperation that, that they've had that's going to cloud his judgment and cloud my ability to, to trust the guy. I just very, very – that frustrated me as much as what we saw on the field because on the field was kind of expected based on how banged up we are and just the state of, of affairs. But stuff like that is just the shit I'm tired of with my coaches. I have a, an asshole as a head coach with the Gators. I have an asshole – with the Rays. Now I have an asshole apparently with the Giants. I can't take any more grump. Um, I mean, I don't think it's quite as dumb as what Rex Ryan did. I mean, I think that well, is... That's, yeah, that might be like the all-time like award for stupidest NFL head coach decision right. ever. I mean, I mean that's that's really up there, stupid, getting your franchise quarterback killed. Followed up by the dumbest explanation. You have that... You know that uh, that sandwich of the two things of being really ridiculous. I I understand the notion of what Joe Judge is saying and why he's keeping his quarterback in there is in the context of let's just say the Giants are fully healthy, they're just outclassed. Let's just say it's all all on defense. You know they're just they're just getting their ass kicked. The the scores run up. They know they can't catch up on offense. They're not as good on offense. But, you know, you're not really worried about people getting hurt. The idea is always to keep it. You don't pull your starters. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. oh, But this isn't – exactly. I, exactly. I, like I said, I understand the the explanation. I love the mentality. I mean because you, you can lose a locker room by pulling players in certain situations. I don't think they're fooling anybody. If, if he – it's like, look – Daniel Jones is getting the shit kicked out of him. We're having a bad day, offensive line. I don't want to lose him for the year. This game's out of reach. We all know it. Go out there, keep playing, keep showing me what you got. But I'm not. I can't hurt our guy here. I don't think that loses a locker room. Yeah, but also, but also, you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth if you say that, and then also pull Nate Solder for a practice squad tackle. Now I know that Nate Solder is probably half the problem for him getting killed. But let me tell you something: he looked just as bad against Dallas, and their pass rush is shit compared to the Rams. Are you kidding me? Randy Gregory is not having some outstanding crazy year. He's just finally on the field for the first time in his life, and he's going up against horse shit. I mean, Nate Solder getting run over by him is sad more than anything. You'd have, a, you'd have a sack and a half against him. I mean... I uh, would! Yeah, but you know something? You know, we were talking before, like, you don't know, you don't see practice, you you, you don't really know what you see on Sunday. You know who knows the most, and probably more than the coaches, about who's good, who's bad, who should be starting, who should be benched? The players. No, I was going to say Twitter. Oh, of course, Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter knows all. But the players know more than anybody. They're the guys. And they look to the you know the right. They look to the left. They see who's executing, who follows the game plan, who does the right technique, who's going to get their their fellow guy killed or not. They know more than anything. And when they start sensing that the coaches are either playing favorites or doing you know, being hypocritical about things or showing a star system favoritism, that's the fastest way to, to lose a locker room. It's that's not, true. They're not losing a locker room because they're getting their asses kicked and they're pulling guys. Because, you know, players are realistic. You know, they – fans, we're we're as, as much invested in the winning and losing as the players do. But the players also are businessmen. And they also are professionals. You know, 
if you play for the Giants, the odds are very good. You did not grow up from the time you were nine years old to be a Giant fan like we have been. I mean, I doubt they had New York Giant pajamas and New York Giant uh, bed sheets and New York, you know, Lawrence Taylor posters on their wall. They became, you know, invested in that team when they were drafted or traded or signed as a free agent. So it's different. They know to when it's time to live for another day. Fans, we we're we're idiots. We sit out there. Grub, did you stay for the whole game? Oh hell no. Okay, but you stayed for you made the trip out there knowing it was probably. I did no. I, I knew it was a total disaster. Look, I, look it was a different yeah. situation. I wasn't with you. I was with my girlfriend. It it's I don't. I'm not making her sit through that shit. You, 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 you're, my point though is still that you are. You have a different emotional investment than players do. Players are of course, yeah. Realism also, and again. You are going to lose a locker room when the coaches are not playing in the best interests of the team. And they, you know, they. So I don't think there's a problem with if, if they pull Daniel Jones, like, oh, we're waving the. I don't think waving a white flag at that moment is going to lose a locker room. I think making dumb decisions that could potentially sabotage the season and impact players, you know, financially down the road if they're re signing for things, that causes a problem. And that's something you might see if you see stupid shenanigans like this. I think I think Joe Judge already has a nepotism problem, and I, you know, I, I think I think, you know, retaining Nate Solder was something that a was financially needed to happen. I mean, it, it the, just the way the contract worked out for him. Uh, once Joe Judge was here, I mean, it just it had to be kind of. I mean, cutting him was just not going to happen for the books, and you know, he opts out for COVID, but you know, wh- what can you do, right? But choosing to start him over Parrot repeatedly giving him reps over parrot repeatedly when it's clear to me that they're pretty close if not Nate Solder is worse I mean there are certain things that yeah, Nate Solder that it is I have objective proof of Nate Solder doing specific things work like passing off stunts he misses almost every single time he starts running laterally with his guy and collides with Will Hernandez almost every time they run us down almost every time uh, I I mean just starting Nate Solder over him over and over and over again, that looks like nepotism, even even if he's got like some well, other reason. Like it has to be monumental. I don't think it's nepotism, just favoritism. It's just I'm picking my best. Oh, well, whatever. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, nep- I, I guess nepotism is from the New England family is kind of where I was going with it. Um, okay. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's, I, a, that's, that's, you know, if he's doing that because of, okay, I was a special teams coach in New England, this guy. X amount of years ago was one of my... Well, I don't know. What's your explanation? Why do you think he's starting over Matt Parrott? I mean, is that a, is that a, is that a uh, Joe Judge decision or is that an offensive line coach decision? No, come on. Everything is... He's going to go based off of what his offensive line coach tells him. But, I mean, how the fuck... I, if I'm looking at the film and I can see things objectively that Matt Parrott does better, like, what, there, what, what possible thing could he be doing better that I'm not seeing? I don't know. Maybe this That's is so a, monumental maybe, because maybe we're starting to explore and understand the flaws of Joe Judge, the head coach. Maybe he's a guy so. that you know, you know, either you know, just delegates too much to what his assistants tell him to do without stepping in and being that CEO and overriding something. I mean, if that's the case, why is this offensive line coach starting him over the other? I mean. Well, also, let's not forget that he part of the reason that him and Mark Colombo butted heads is because 
I, I mean, he was in there correcting Mark Colombo's teachings. So, I mean, I don't think he trusts it. I don't think that's it, that he's trusting his coaching staff too much. I, I don't know what it is. I can't think of a real reason why you'd put him out there because there, – There's definitely something going on with this coaching staff from last year to this year. I mean, at this time last year, we were worried about Graham leaving to become a head coach somewhere. Didn't he interview somewhere true. in the offseason? Uh, I believe his flight was canceled to go to L.A. But I think he was he was getting calls about being a head coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he so, canceled his flight because we wrote him a we check, like, basically. Okay, this defense was you know way above expectation. They did a lot of good things. Kept this you know kept a bad team in you know a playoff hunt and stuff. And all of a sudden now everybody wants to you know hang him on outside on the tree and want to get rid of him. It's like, did this coach all of a sudden forget how to coach? You know, these decisions and these things that Joe Judge are doing, we didn't see last year. It's like, what happened over this year where when you had more time to prepare for this offseason than the year before, you had more time to work with your players, to install what you want. We got better players, better guys in the secondary. We got more weapons on, on offense, wide receiver and tight end. And why does it all look like it's all regressing from a coaching standpoint? It, it – I, it, it, it's the biggest question I have on this team. Other, you know, injuries you can explain, you know, all these different things. But the unexplainable thing why this season's going south is what the hell happened to this coaching staff? And I also think, Grump, it kind of leads into our conversation of, you know, looking at the season now as we're kind of at the quarter pole of it. Where do we assign the blame for how this season has gone so far south? I mean, how much of a percentage do we put on? bad coaching versus the injuries versus the roster that was constructed by Gettleman versus, you know, all of these things. I mean, I think the fans, you know, just scrolling through Twitter after the game and listening to some of the calls are just like, why aren't we using Kyle Rudolph? You know, you know is that the biggest problem with this team or is it just, <laughs> well, is it really the injuries or what kind of, you know, really have made this team go sideways or has this been bad coaching or we didn't address we had how do you think where do we get to this point grump and what do you think are really in your mind the biggest things and what fans really should be focusing their anger towards the most well i don't know about uh, i can come up with a layout about why we are what we are right now and uh, you can choose to assign a percentage based on what I think the flow chart is here. We have a situation where a general manager came in and I think made bold moves. And I think he made some good moves and I think he made some bad moves. But when he came in, he came in swinging. So he came in, the good moves were real good. you know. And it's not it's not how good, it's just that he kind of swung for the fences on them. And the bad moves, they, they all had really big repercussions. Um there were there were some good some bad i'm not going to go over each one but essentially you start off when you have a shitty situation where he's come into a terrible roster and a terrible cap situation so he's got to make a bad roster worse he's also got a bad head coaching pool so he gets the best guy off the market that he thinks. It's Pat Shermer. I don't think that any of those head coaches were really much of anything, but whatever. It doesn't matter. They go out there. They get James Betcher and whatever. And um, he goes out there and he's trying to get guys to, to fit their system. And some of those 
free agent signings were bad. And, you know, like, we look at, like, Antoine Bethay. And, like, the context of that signing is that he's supposed to be the veteran guy to help install this defense. The reality of that was he's fucking starting and he sucks. Okay? So... (laughs) And then, you know, all these guys get slashed when you make your head coaching change. And, you know, in the interim, even in the, with the head coaching change, you, you're still making some good moves, some bad moves in the draft. You know what I mean? Like, it's not all bad. I, it's not all Dave Gettleman. But you've now got a switch of gears. And you've got a new head coach who's installing a new kind of thing, right? And now you're getting new guys to fill that guy's scheme and you're getting rid of guys to fit the prior scheme so you're pulling on all these new guys and doing the best you can so you're really looking at from a Giants fan's perspective and from a Joe Judge perspective two different lengths of time for a rebuild for a Giants fan's perception the rebuild started when Jerry Reese was fired and that's an understandable and valid window to critically analyze Dave Gettleman but the reality is that half of Dave Gettleman was committed to a head coach that is gone and then the other half is committed to Joe Judge so now you're looking really at two different rebuilds inside of it and not only that we can even peel in another way too that half of the rebuild was well we still have Eli Manning. We have one more chance. Exactly. And, and then also, you know, the rebuild, in my opinion, really started the day they benched him and they handed the, the reins to Daniel Jones. That's when you committed to the rebuild. So you're right. There's, you know, on multi layers, you have different errors that are, you know, era, ERA, and ERROR kind of <laughs> at the same time. And what do you have? You have no coherent blueprint and plan going forward so so here's what happens is now now you have a new coach come in and you have this it wasn't it wasn't really fool's gold that they were better last year i mean he you have this group of guys that fit a scheme he's trying to make it work and it, it kind of started to work towards the end there was enough to build on but because you're now at a second reshuffling of rosters there's no depth yet They just barely got a group of starters. They signed all these free agents because the starters were playing, holy shit, like we might be right in line where we should be even though we're a year ahead of schedule. But what happens then when you – okay, that's – so now you've got your depth problem is because your rebuild is split between two separate layers here. From a Giants fan's perspective, they've been building this roster for four years. But from Joe Judge's perspective, it's really only been two. So – Now you have no depth. That's your one issue. You have no depth. Now you have the coaching thing. We all agree that this offense is not utilizing talent effectively to their best abilities. Um, The defense, at least was last year. I don't really know what the fuck happened uh, in between because they look pretty pretty terrible all of a sudden. And, you know, some of it's players' uh, execution. I think I think with the coaching staff, with the offense, I think it's a combination of not using the, utilizing maybe the best players in the best position, and also I think there's this, this conservative bent of yeah, absolutely yeah, and that's you know, punting on the 36 yard line, for example, you know, not going for it here, just being, you know, concerned about making mistakes. That's not a question of, you know, if this is my quarterback or that's my quarterback or who my tight end is at this time or not. That's just, you know. That's a culture you're putting in. It's, it's, it's a philosophy. Mindset. It's a whole it's idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we so, I mean, so, talking about that. And yeah. 
So there's that level of the coaching thing. And then you've got these weird roster questions with Joe Judge. Like, why does Nate Ebner just have a spot on this team? Dude's like in the Olympics. It flames out. And then he's kind of hurt. But we all knew he was going to get signed. What is that about? I mean, there's some weird roster things with Joe Judge. There's weird conservative things with Joe Judge that, you know, I don't really agree with. But it's not all bad with him either. I mean, he really did make the best of this roster last year and make them an actual competitive force despite a lot of things, including, you know, a shit offseason, including a shit season in general with the COVID restrictions and losing a coach halfway through it. I mean... It's not all bad with him. It's not. It's just maybe it's not as good as we thought. And now you have the extra thing here with the injuries. You've got no depth. So when the injuries pile up and they're totally out of control, they're out of control. What happened to Shane Lemieux is out of your control. Nick Gates, out of your control. These things just happen, okay? These aren't injury-prone guys. This isn't a Dave Gettleman problem. This is, you know, whatever. It's like... These just happen, and it can't happen to a team with no depth because now this is what happens. Let me push back a minute. Is it safe to start calling Saquon Barkley injury-prone? Is it safe to start calling Kenny Galladay injury-prone? These guys... Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. But Kenny Galladay is fair game. That is a fair thing to say to a Dave Gettleman or a front office guy. like, you went after an injury-prone guy, and now he's hurt. But Saquon Barkley, yes, you can call him injury-prone now, but there wasn't really a track record of that in college. That's so true. it's it's uh, the acquisition of him is not really, like, you can't attach the injury to that, in my opinion. Right, but I'm saying going forward, though, you know. Go, going forward, you can, yeah. But I'm saying that injury, at that point, you can't pin that blame to the acquisition of Barkley. That's that's no, what I'm saying. No. I, 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 was, it, I wasn't implying that at all. I was just saying that, you know, these we have a roster of guys that, and again, when you, the guys we're counting on the most, the playmakers, when you lose your playmakers, even if you have depth behind you, it, you are, you know, the, the, the gap between your star wide receiver and the next guy behind him is a lot greater than just some middling linebacker goes down and you replace him with the guy behind him. That hurts. That hurts any team. You know, any team that loses, like, last between last week and this week, who lost their quarterback, their best receiver, their best running back, you know, their best uh, linebackers out, all these things. It's like, I don't care if you're a bad team like the Giants or a Super Bowl contending team, you are going to suffer. No matter what your depth is, and you're losing your best playmaking guys. And yeah, I mean, besides the fact that we have no depth, our, our best guys are out too. Yeah, Andrew Thomas. I mean, they literally made a movie about the position he plays and how important it is. I mean, come on. That dude goes down. It should have some significance. But, I mean, it's also fair to say that, you know, whether you're in Pat Shermer's offense or, you know, Jason Garrett's offense, you need tackles. Like, why are these the tackles that we have after? So, so the, the criticism is fair to be passed around. I'm just explaining to you where we're at. You can put the percentage needle wherever you want as a fan because they're all valid things to get mad about. The injuries thing, though, I mean, the, the way that that stacks up is that we don't really know how good or bad the 2021 Giants are because they never really hit the field. And when they started the year, they started off sluggish to the point where we know that they weren't that bad. We know Tony Tony didn't even play in week one. Yeah, I mean... I mean, we'll never know what this team could have been well, at week six. That's what I'm, well, that's what I'm saying. We don't know what this game would have been. Are you ready to give Judge 
and Gettleman a pass for this year based on just the injuries alone. I don't think that Jason Garrett deserves a pass. I don't think he should have been brought back to begin with. So okay, then let then let's lump in. I was going higher level with. No, I get you. I get you. Because if they're if they're gonna make the decision, they're gonna clean house. The, the, the coordinators are you know they're swept out anyway. I'm talking about Gettleman, who built this roster, hired the coach, Joe Judge, who's responsible for his coaches and you know scheming his players in there. Do you think there's enough injury? I know you like doing percentages, but the percentage that you allocate to injury enough to give those two a pass to say that you know, definitely, well, they should be back next year. It's that that much of a significance that you can't judge them. No pun, no pun intended. I, 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 um, <laughs> I will say that I think the coaches are um, slightly further out of reach than Dave Gettleman is. Um, you know, I don't know if the injuries are enough to give them a pass, but I think I think it might give Judge a pass, and the, what he does with his coordinators might be up to him. Um, because you know, you look at the, the coordinators were only here for two years, and if one year there's so many injuries that you you never had your starting offensive line really out there. You know, I, I don't know. It might be enough to be like, guys, I mean, come on here. Like, I, I was here for a year. I assemble a roster, and then that roster doesn't play, and now I'm the fuck out of here. I mean, I'm saying this as of week six after this game. Now, if Joe Judge does more boneheaded shit down the line that we can criticize him for, then obviously my answer is going to change. But Dave Gettleman is going to get zero amount of uh, uh, protection from injuries. Yeah, so it's all on the coaches. So... I think there is at least a chance that the coaches remain I, and and Gettleman goes. I don't and think it's be, necessarily and then, a... And then that would be tenuous based upon who the new GM is. I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't I, I don't think that's going to happen, but I, I can envision it happening at least. Usually, if they blow out a GM and a GM comes in, you know, usually it's in the offseason and they don't have the time to, to blow out your coach right away and have somebody already in place. To replace it's too late in the cycle so you know well it depends i mean they, they i mean they could they could they could boot a gm early i mean his job is mostly done right now and then you know everything else is like scouting department work right but what i'm saying is you know if, if they decide unless they decide we're just completely gonna clean the house and everybody's gone and which almost kind of scares me because then I get worried about who's who's doing the hire for the coaching, like the coaching search. You know, if there's You're no right. GM in place. Like to me, it's like I my preferred situation would be that you know if you were going to be making moves, and I'm you know fairly certain something big is going to happen this offseason. They blow out Gettleman first. They don't do anything with this coaching staff until they have their GM in place who has a plan. I don't think they're going to get somebody who nobody's ever heard of before. I think they're going to try to go big this team and try to get a name who's been known around this league to, you know, and I don't ask me off the top of my head who those people are, but someone that's Jerry you know, Jones. <laughs> they hired Jerry. He remains the Cowboy owner, but he's no longer the GM of the Cowboys. He's like, <laughs> the Giants. <laughs> no, I, I, I um, I hope they do it that way where somebody who's in charge is making that very important hire and not just, okay, we're going to get a search 
you know, a, a searching consulting group out there to find somebody, and then this new GM has to inherit a new coach. Or I don't want the mayors involved. I want them involved as little as possible, making a football decision because. The, well, they're uh, not. They're not football people. I know they grow exactly. up with the sport, but they don't know. I, I mean, I was more uncomfortable with them selecting a GM than I was Dave Gettleman selecting head coach. I mean, I really, I, we, and I don't like Dave Gettleman. And that them hiring him was exactly what I was afraid of. I mean, it's like, oh, it's the guy. You know what I mean? This dude was literally run out of his last job. Players fucking hate him. I mean... Yeah, I get it. He was with the scouting department, but that's not all a GM does. And, you know, there was a lot of negativity. I, I didn't really agree with a lot of his, his work in Carolina, but I, you know, I was like, all right, well, here we go. <laughs> but all of that set aside, he was still a pretty successful GM. I mean, it's not like we're bringing in the GM of the Jacksonville Jaguars where they were you know, perennial four and twelve teams. Yeah, there there's been worse GMs. I, I I mean, to be completely fair and honest, there's been worse GMs. He's had some pretty colossal mistakes, but I mean, Bill Bill Belichick has had pretty awful drafts. Like, yeah. a, a lot of people are like, "Oh, Hank, you have hired Nick Casario." Um, you know, the the Patriots were always winners. Like, yeah, they always won. I don't know how the fuck they did it though. Their draft. First of all, they barely ever had draft picks because they were always getting penalized, and they were always making these head scratching early round moves and shit. They so high, they didn't have high picks because they're always winning. I mean, you're you're drafting twenty. Well, there's that too. <laughs> every year, you're not gonna have. You're not gonna get a blue chip of a recruit. Uh, recruit. It's like the college guy. A blue chip uh, draft pick that you might have. You know, if you were the. The Jets or That's, the Dodgers. That as well. Yeah, and also, also like if you're looking at their midseason trade moves to pick up Antonio Brown and all the the frigging guys. They, 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 first of all, they're going to play with Brady because they're already winning. That's not a GM making a great fucking move. Like, hey, let's listen, be honest Bucks, about this shit. The Bucks won the Super Bowl because not all of a sudden their GM became a genius. Yeah, exactly. Tom their Brady GM just pulled the trigger on Tom Brady. Tom Brady decided he wanted to play there, and he attracted. The Gronkowski's and the Antonio Browns. Tom Brady's been a better GM for the Patriots than I think Nick Casario is. Yeah, that's a safe bet. Yeah. I mean, now as we talk about this, what is a new GM coming into? I mean, like, Daniel Jones, I'm not going to make a determination on Daniel Jones at this point in the year because this is such a big year for him. And he has had, he's looked good when he's been upright. I, I will say. I think I think he's shown enough for me that I if we had the number one pick in this draft this year based on what we think is coming out this year, I don't know if I wouldn't go quarterback. I think I'm comfortable with Daniel Jones. Yeah, so I think I agree with that. Based on what I've seen so far, yeah. If it's last year and there's a Trevor Lawrence, different story. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> come on. I mean, yeah, like absolutely. For sure. But I've seen enough out of him to think that, you know, there's enough to work with. This guy can be a useful quarterback in this league, a starting quarterback in this league. We have bigger issues to deal with with these draft picks coming up. Well, there's there's so there's other people. I kind of you know, is Sterling Shepard going to be here through 2023? He's got a 2022 out. It's going to be an eight million dollar hit, but he's actually one of the guys performing. I mean, Kenny Galladay is one who's kind of locked in, but like, are they gonna are they gonna Hack him out early in 2023 with the seven million dollar dead. I don't know. They're huge, they're huge decisions. It's like where does the where does the front office and where does a new 
whether it might be get, if Gettleman's still here, where does he think this team is right now? And, you know, if he thinks this team is like, well, this was just a blip because of injuries and because they brought in guys like Galladay because they yeah. thought they were ready to take that step to become a playoff team. And if this season is – if they analyze and evaluate that, you know, it wasn't just the injuries why this team is going to be 4-12, and 12, but, you know, we need to – the time it's going to take for us to be really respectful by build, really, really building the offensive line and, you know, issues in the secondary that they may want to dump guys that we don't think are yeah. concerned. Like wide receiver, we don't – on paper does not like a concern going forward. However – to your point, if they decide they're going to blow out Galladay and they're not going to get on the out on Sterling Shepard to save cap money to start building for the future, wide receiver becomes a concern all of a sudden. So it's not just on paper who do we have. It's where does this team, you know, and maybe it makes, maybe that's another reason why you blow out Dave Gettleman. Not for the moves he's making, but... To prevent him from making moves? No, no, no. Just like someone who has clear eyes on what this team actually is. Now, if you bring in someone new and it's like, no, this team is not a, it's not a serious playoff contender. I mean, Gettleman is, he is so heavily invested in all of these moves he made. He may honestly believe, you know, we're a playoff team, and I don't think we need to make any do anything drastic. Just get healthy. Where you know someone else comes in and is like, we have a lot of work to do, boys. So maybe. Maybe that clear assessment is needed on this team. It just sucks. a couple of oh yeah, right. no, it sucks. We're just a couple right. of other decisions that this new GM is going to have to think about is um, uh, let's say Kyle Rudolph has a potential out after this year. Dexter Lawrence has a fifth year option. Leonard Williams has a potential twenty twenty two out. Blake Martinez has a potential out after this year with a five point five million dollar dead hit. Um, you know, Dory Jackson has a 2022 out. Logan Ryan has a 2022 out. I mean, these are decisions he's going to have to make because, remember, the cap's not going up next year. Yeah, this is all, again, this goes back to that decision. Is this team ready to make a leap to the playoffs now or not? And if they don't think that this team is ready, it's not going to be one or two of these guys are going to be gone. You're going to see, like we had a couple of years ago, a fire sale, a wholesale yeah. chopping block, the Turk working overtime and just slicing and dicing and taking that one year hit on contracts so they can start fresh. And then you know what that means, you might see another year of four and 12 or, or four and 13 because the talent as, and then that new GM would be criticized like Dave Gettleman was how you took a team and it's worse now than when you had it. And the cycle will just continue over and over and over again and this is the worst thing you can be is yeah, just is being the Jets we, we are the Jets right now yep we're just we're not as we don't do things as embarrassingly bad as they do we just do them as bad as they do yeah and yeah I... congrats <laughs> but that's what we are and you know as we go through the rest of the season Grump it's like yeah we're gonna go to the games we'll, we'll be there Sunday for the Carolina game, but you know, I'm not looking at these games as like, why is Kyle Rudolph not getting more than two touches in a game? It's just who needs to be here and who needs to go yeah. going forward. Who's showing their player? Who's showing that they're they still give a shit? 
in a, in a lost season. I, I still think on paper this roster isn't that bad. I think they're they're at least a 500 team on paper. They are, I, I in my opinion. I mean, I, the, the the run defense is a little bit worse than I thought. The edge is just about what I thought of. I don't know what other people thought it was going to be, but um, I think the you offensive know, line. I expected a little more from the offensive line. What offensive yeah. line? You never saw it, man. I, I guess it's never still. I, I guess. I mean, Lemieux played one series hurt and then was out for the year. I mean, he should have never even done that. Is is Nick Gates ever going to come back? At this point, I mean, a broken leg like that, I don't know. I mean, it's not like a quarterback coming back, but at the same time... They're going to have to completely rebuild this offensive line. I mean, you know... The whole interior, at least, yeah. They need a center. I'm going to assume he's not back less than pleasantly surprised. And if he's back, he'll be back the way he was. Let's, Let's assume no. They need a center... They need a right tackle. They need they need two a right guards. Guard. <laughs> they need two guards, man. I don't know that Shane Lemieux is going to come back. And even if he does, he's not all world talent. He was just exactly. much better than what they were trotting out there so far. Yeah. I mean, so I think we need a GM to come in, not open his mouth on day one and say stupid things, and come in with all fire and brimstone. Just go in, do your job. Go Giants. You know, don't put the bullseye on your back in the beginning by running your mouth. Don't say, you know, we're built on hog mollies and all that thing where they're just going to come back and crucify you with every time somebody misses a block. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is why are we always asking the GM, like, if we care what they say? It's, I don't know. Whatever. That's just me. I, I don't know. That's me being a grump. Anyway, we're, we're running. We're running now. So... Uh, we got a game against the Panthers coming up. Uh, we will preview that game and all the news in between. Like, for instance, we didn't mention that the Giants signed Benardrick McKinney, the inside linebacker, oh. to their to their uh, practice squad, a clear indication that they're not comfortable with their run defense, as if the numbers didn't tell you that on their own. Yeah. Delete the rest of the episode, Grub, because that changes everything. For the that should have been our opener. That they, yeah, exactly. they signed. Now we have two McKinneys on the team. Um, and I don't think they're related. Anyway, um, that's going to be it. For In the meantime, whatever. Follow me on Twitter. I'm football underscore grump. I'm at the cranky fan. Just uh, just laying low for right now. <laughs> I'm beaten um, down. I have nothing to say. If you want to set me off, say something about the Gators or say something about this Giants team or or New York City FC or something, and you'll get a tweet storm out of me. So if you want to rile me up, catch me at the Cranky Fan. And as always, the show is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podbean, and wherever and else. Spotify, and of course on YouTube. Uh, so be sure to follow us there if you're just listening. And if you are just watching, you can also listen in case you're driving or whatever. Um, <laughs> all right, guys, we will catch you on Friday morning. Go Giants. Go Giants.